You're listening to The Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend Lucas Spinoza coming at you from my office inside of the Black Sheep Lounge right here in the heart of downtown Welland, Ontario. You're listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people, and we're here to show you how you can use your passions to live your life passion forward. Today, joined by an incredibly special guest, we have John Braithwaite, the CEO of the Hope Center here in Welland. I'm super stoked to have John in here for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, there's no avoiding COVID-19. We're going to touch on a little bit of that, but we also are uh, looking forward to kind of touching on how John got from where he started to how he became the CEO of the Hope Center. So John, how in the hell are you? I am doing very well today. I'm glad it's Saturday. <laughs> he's he's doing very well today uh, because of the fact that it's been crazy. Um, I don't want to go too much into it yet because I think you have a great story that we should highlight first. So maybe the best thing we can do is talk about what is the Hope Center? What, what do you do? What do you offer to the community? Well, in, in regular times, I suppose, is the best way to talk about it. Uh, the Hope Center is a, a multifaceted organization in Welland. We provide a, a number of services to the people that are most vulnerable in our community. Uh, started off as a food bank, and we still provide uh, food security. We uh, have a daily community lunch that we provide to between 60 and 80 people every day. Uh, we are in the housing market as well, so we provide uh, emergency shelters. Uh, we have uh, an emergency or a, sort of a housing supportive housing program. Um, we provide utility relief. We have counseling programs, uh, and those are all the services that we provide directly at the Hope Center. We're a community hub. So one of the one of the people that uh, when they when they envisioned this, and I and I give a lot of credit to. Uh, Mark, who was the previous executive director there and the board of the, of the day, but they've created uh, a community hub, which is really unique in our community. So not only do we provide all those services under one roof, uh, we look to provide other services to those that are in need. So uh, great examples of that are some of our tenants in our building. We've got uh, Cassin, which uh, supports people with addiction issues. We've got Canadian Mental Health is in our building. We have the YWCA is in our building with some of their housing programs. We have um, OATC also in our building. And then the other piece of things that we've started to add is recognizing what other needs people might have. And so we're bringing those people in on a fairly regular basis. So uh, another great example of that is we recently started working with Niagara Community Legal Clinic. So they're in our doors uh, twice a month, uh, the second and fourth uh, Monday of every month. And they provide support to our clients in areas like um, uh, the Residential Tenancies Act and you know eviction and rent eviction and what can they do. Um, support in navigating uh, the ODSP system, which can be quite challenging for, for most. Um, we're really excited. Uh, this has kind of put off our timeline, but uh, one of the key uh, areas that we want to address with, uh, with the population we work with is health services. Welland's a, a unique community in my eyes. I live in St. Catharines, and there are walk-in clinics literally all over St. Catharines. <laughs> but in Welland, there, there are very few, and so um, there's not a lot of accessible health care. And so we're bringing in an organization called REACH, uh, they're partnering with us. They will be offering weekly uh, physician and registered nurse uh, services to those people in our community in need. That's amazing. I didn't know this was uh, this is coming up. We're excited about it. It's taking longer than than I had hoped, but uh, you know, one thing we've all learned is trust process, and so we're making sure that they've got the infrastructure that they need to be successful. 
and uh, we, you know, we've ironed out any any kinks we might see because we recognize that it's going to be a, a program that's high in demand. A lot of the clients, uh, the people that we work with, because there's not a lot of accessible healthcare, they they don't address things that are going on with their body. And so, as we all know, things left unchecked will, um, you know, get worse over time, and and they end up presenting at emergency. Uh, or not addressing at all and and suffering some serious health casualties from that. So uh, it's something that we're really looking forward to and, uh, you know, wish it was yesterday. But again, you know, once it's here, we're very excited about being able to provide that service. Absolutely. I know physician recruitment especially is incredibly difficult in every municipality. Um, Welland's been relatively successful um, starting to bring people into that health building that we have on Prince Charles. Um, but again, even that with as much effort and work and partnerships that we have, it's still difficult to do so. Um, and I don't think it's just here, but I think it's the region as a whole is having a tough time retaining, uh, physicians, but I think this is a a great step in the right direction to, to get people to come here. My, my girlfriend's a nurse, so I've seen healthcare from a different perspective and it's, it's a weird world. You think, especially as Canadians, you think, oh, we've got this great healthcare, which we do. Uh, but to think how many challenges we still have in the system are, are, Unparamounted. Well, I think accessibility is a real key, you mm-hmm. know. And many of uh, you know many of our clients, and we have services that help people replace ID, but they don't have a valid health card, and so that steers them away from the traditional areas that you or I might uh, access. Uh, reach will if you have a valid health card, great. If you don't, doesn't matter. We'll still provide services. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so you came from Big Brothers Big Sisters. What was the shift like? going from an organization like that to coming into the Hope Center? I'm assuming completely different worlds. Obviously, the heart's in the same place. You're helping people. You're coaching people. You're bringing them, you know, helping them uh, create a, a new future for themselves. What was that shift like for you? Well, I, I equated it a lot to drinking from the fire hose because there was a lot for me to learn from, <laughs> uh, about, you know, homelessness and, and uh, poverty. I uh, was at Big Brothers Big Sisters for a long time, over 16 years, and uh, so... Probably the biggest shift for me was moving from a national organization to a grassroots organization. I was used to a lot of the supports that were there, a lot of the standards. Uh, When I was with Big Brothers Big Sisters, uh, I was involved in a number of leadership type um, committees. Uh, I was one of the uh, one of a number of uh, accreditors uh, at Big Brothers Big Sisters. They have a national standards program where they have a set of national standards that that address things like safety and volunteer training and that sort of thing, but really organizational sustainability, which is really key. And so um, I think it's a bit of an advantage for me to be able to bring that experience uh, to the Hope Center and uh, start to try and bring in some of those um, standards, policies, that sort of thing that, that reduce risk for organizations and make them more viable. So we're slowly bringing some of those in while at the same time trying to provide the services. Where do you find the balance between uh, your job from day to day to at home. I find everyone I have on here has a difficulty separating them, uh, but some people have developed kind of these coping skills so that they're able to focus all their energy in a in a uh, more precise fan, uh, manner. I'm not able to do so. You know, if I have something I'm excited about or something that I'm working on, it's, it's all the time. Uh, but I know some very successful people who are able to keep, they have a three hour window every day where they get a certain thing done and they're able to do it. Are you able to, to separate it or are you one of those people it's, it's 24 seven? Well, it depends on, I guess, what is going on. Um, 
but I also, uh, I coach uh, a young a grade six boys uh, travel basketball team. And uh, I was involved with the Niagara Tigers this past summer uh, as a coach. So so that's a bit of an outlet for me. So it, it forces me to turn off the Hope Center stuff and turn on uh, coach mentoring, mentoring these young guys and, and teaching them the skills that uh, – will help them be successful on the basketball court and ultimately as people and team players and that sort of thing. So that's really helpful for me. Uh, right now, it's really odd because I have nothing going on. And I will tell you that I've had a few nights where I wake up in the middle of the night thinking what's coming next at the Hope Center. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you, you answered it in the way that you did because for me, the podcast that we're doing now is that outlet for me. Uh, I'm horrible at sports. <laughs> so I had to do something non-athletic where I could do the sitting. Uh, but there's, there's a saying that is uh, those that can't coach. And that's me. <laughs> I, I was n- not a very good basketball player. Uh, enjoyed playing the sport, but not good. That's not how I got into coaching. That's it, awesome. Yeah. Well, so that's that's the thing, right? I think it's important that everyone has an outlet because I've I've seen a lot of burnout in people who that don't ha- that they don't have that outlet where they can blow off some steam or do something that makes them happy in every moment, even when they're difficult. It doesn't really matter. It's just one of those things that keeps their mind in a good place. It keeps it separate from what they're working on. Um, but you you did mention right now that that's not quite possible for two reasons. One of which is all the things that you like doing are pretty much kibosh. They're they're gone. They're off the schedule. Uh, but the other thing is because you're not allowed to be around other people. Absolutely. Uh, and so, what what are the challenges that you're facing um, with COVID nineteen with the Hope Center? Because obviously, housing you work on that. Mental health you help with with everything. Food banks has the need increased for certain things is it changing what are you seeing happening in the first few days of this thing well it's it started off you know last week when when we uh started to take some some uh, precautions our community lunch uh as of i think last friday the friday the 13th it was was the first day that we did takeout lunches because we're trying to really minimize on um you know uh groups of you know we would have 60 to 80 people in our in our uh dining room every day so we started with that, but uh, then as of Monday, uh, we asked all our volunteers to stay home. The Hope Center is really fortunate. We've got over 120, 130 volunteers that regularly provide service to us, whether it's supporting our kitchen, they're in our food bank, doing pickups for us. Well, now it's our staff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've, we've lost a couple of staff right now. We've got one that uh, uh, is home with her daughter. Uh, we've got a couple that are in isolation because they're possibly exposed. And so now we've got an even smaller staff team that are working hard. We don't, we don't want any disruptions. The food bank has been busier than normal. And, and uh, it's been busier particularly with people who haven't accessed our food bank in quite some time. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think that uh, there are some people that aren't working. There are uh, always when kids are home from school, whether it's the summer or March break or Christmas, there's, there's a certain amount of <clears throat> relief that, that comes with children going to school. So there's breakfast programs, there's lunch programs. Obviously, those don't exist. Um, there's people that just aren't working. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may be casual workers. They may be in an industry that um, they've been laid off. So, uh, so I think that that's a factor as well. Uh, and I think it's just going to get worse, to be honest with you. So having said all that, what, what's something that the community can do to, to help you 
mitigate some of that risk. Are you looking for more food? Are you looking for people to do door drops for food? Uh, anything like that? Well, uh, you know, it's it's like I've been saying just in my own social media things is I recognize that this is a scary time for people. Um, and I also recognize everybody's, you know, at home and everything's very central to, to what's going on outside the world. But, you know, we want to, I always want to remind people, don't forget the food banks in your community because whether it's the Hope Center, whether it's Open Arms Mission, uh, St. Vincent de Paul, we're all supporting those people in Welland that, uh, that are most in need. So, you know, my message has always been, let's not forget those and, and you can support them, whether it's donations of food, we're all accepting food drop-offs, whether regardless of what our facility looks like, there's a way that you can donate food and all of us have online donation options. So, um, we're able to, uh, purchase things in bulk. Uh, we're able to, stretch the dollar further than than most people as a, as a food bank so i would encourage uh people to not forget about us especially at this time because i think people have to recognize that uh that it is this is going to be on, going on for quite some time we don't know the we don't have a, a certain date so there's so much uncertainty that um people people are worried and so they're coming to visit us and maybe they haven't done so in quite some time but that's why we're here we're here as a support service for those people that are at risk. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that's pretty amazing, you and I were touching on a little bit while we were walking towards the office here, but to see the collaboration, not bet- not just between all levels of government in Canada, but also between different community groups, between different, uh, different types of people, for instance, even in the business community, um, it's been challenging, obviously, in, in the food industry because all of us had to shut down our dining rooms. So the Black Sheep's down, Mateo's, Vegan Hippie Chick, Empty Bellies, every single Welland business that people love and used to sit in can no longer operate mm-hmm. at a normal capacity. Uh, and at this time, we all have the option to still do takeout. But again, people are scared about money, so they're not coming out as often. And so uh, a lot of us have been making phone calls to each other after hours and trying to figure out a game plan, right? How can we pool our resources? How can we co-promote? How can we do this together? Because at the end of the day, just because you survived doesn't mean it's going to help you at the end because there is a light at the end of this tunnel. And there's going to be a point in time when, when COVID is no different than the common cold or, or the flu. Uh, but at the same time, we don't know in a year from now what's going to happen to the economy. There's going to be a, probably a really bad recession. People are probably not going to be spending as much money. So good for you. You made it through COVID. But now you have to make it through the point of time where years of people not having any money to spend recreationally. So I think it's important more now than ever for people to work together and not, and not be so divisive and not fight. Collaborating is, is paramount. Absolutely. And, what, you know, one, just a couple of points to that. Number one. <clears throat> excuse me in 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 my view i think there's going to come a time where we have to uh you know pay for the blank checks that uh, that our federal government provincial governments are paying and i know that it's going to be challenging for a lot of people but i think we all have to try and remember right now how helpful um all levels of government have been so when it does come time to to pay you know refill the coffers if you will we're prepared to do so uh, the other thing I, I just I have to give a lot of credit to the staff at the Niagara region, um, working particularly with the homelessness population. They have been very good at bringing us all together all as providers, talking through some of the risks. Uh, we're in the process of devising some strategy right now. You know, as of today, the uh, COVID virus hasn't been community spread. 
Uh, it will be community spread. Yep. And if it does, if and when it does hit our homeless population, it will hit them hard. Mm-hmm. And so we're working on a lot of different strategies. And the Hope Center is taking a lead in uh, working with those people that are mo- would be most at risk should they... Uh, should they come into contact with COVID nineteen? But all each, all uh, all of our shelters and uh, providers are are pulling together right now, and it's it's a it's it's very heartening to see that for sure. And and that's uh, got to be a challenge when you're you can't just stick a bunch of people in a room and hope for the best these days. Right now, they have to be very strategic about you know separation and making sure that people are are doing exactly what we're being asked, social distancing. Uh, and I'm, and the same thing is true about uh, long-term care. My girlfriend's an RPN in St. Catharines at Lynn Haven, uh, and they're a very large home. Uh, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, they're the largest uh, regionally funded or regionally run uh, long-term care home um, in Niagara. And the challenges for, for long-term care when these are the most vulnerable people in, in our population, it's, it's crazy. You can't have one case go into a building. No. And it's the same thing I'm assuming with homelessness where a lot of these people are immunely co- compromised and you need to take extra precaution. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the probably biggest aha moment for me when we were talking about this, because we all have our personal, you know, concerns, but, um, you know, it was identified to us that quite honestly right now, uh, the population that we're providing service to, they're most at risk from us mm-hmm. because it hasn't been community spread. So it's not the other way around. We're not necessarily at risk of contracting COVID-19 from uh, from that population. They're more at risk from us. And so we have to make sure that as providers, we take the precautions that are necessary. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's so crazy every time uh you know i think about this and and anyone in my life can attest to it i've been obsessed with this for weeks you know following this along and especially with katie being in healthcare, you know she told me she's like this is going to be bigger than you think it is because because it's not serious for the majority of the population it's going to spread quickly and it has and people may say that well december to march isn't really that fast it's incredibly fast when you're talking the entire world, yeah, right? Absolutely. It's uh, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, seeing the numbers, I'm obsessed with Johns Hopkins and watching that map and seeing the red dots spread. And I don't think it's a healthy, <laughs> a healthy <laughs> habit to pick up, but it is important uh, for us to be taking this seriously because I know a week ago we were joking about this. Well, we, absolutely. We, we thought this was It happened joke. so quickly. Yeah. You know, and what, what I think the most ironic thing from my perspective is how it became such a serious issue or how it brought attention, I suppose, because we had Rudy Gobert, who's a basketball player for the Utah Jazz, joking around about it, licking microphones and, you know, just being a (laughs) Just don't lick my microphone, please. (laughs) Try not to lick it on your way up. (laughs) And then, but then, but then he tested positive for, uh, for uh, COVID-19. So, and then the NBA shut down. As soon as the NBA shut down, Everybody else started to go, oh, my goodness, this is serious. And the fallout happened quickly. I think that's when I started to um, really think, oh, my God, what did we get ourselves into? Because as soon as a major sports organization shuts down, it's not just the team not playing basketball. We're talking thousands of employees that are behind the scenes, dressing rooms, uh, manufacturers, merchandise, everything, right? It's it's not just the, the no, 20 people on the team. Absolutely. I mean, the market, you, just even the guy selling hot dogs outside the stadium. Exactly. Right? I mean, they count on that as income. But I just, I was reading an article where he was like in a perverse way, it was sort of an American hero because he, he made it real. 
Because if he hadn't done that and then hadn't, you know, it may have been a couple of days before it happened elsewhere. So uh, he was being a bit of an idiot. But uh, at the end of the day, (laughs) accidentally, he has uh, he he has made this a serious issue for many people. That's crazy. I'm sure we're going to come back to this topic in uh, some capacity or another. But one thing I, I wanted to ask you earlier was the contrast between Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Hope Center. Uh, we talked about a little bit about your your workload and, and the job description, but how much has your day to day changed, and do you think it's gotten easier or or harder? Well, it's. I think I don't know that it's gotten. I wouldn't say it's gotten harder or easier. It's certainly more complex. Um, but I'm fortunate at the Hope Center. I walked into a very strong team, and uh, uh, without a strong team, I don't think that that we can be anywhere near where we are in terms of the services we're able to provide at the high quality that we're able to provide them. So you know, I have to give full credit, and I see it even more. And I and I I knew this before all of you know all the changes we've had to make but i'm working side by side with all of our staff as we you know yesterday i was picking up a food donation i've been in the kitchen i've been in the food bank stocking the shelves and just working alongside with the with the wonderful staff at the hope center and and so i mean that that is something that has made my job easier in terms of differences um and I said this in, in my job interview for it because I'm coming from a totally different industry, totally different service. But at the end of the day, the, the governance and running of an organization is, is fairly similar. It's, those skills are transferable. So it's, you know, fiscal responsibility, ensuring that all your proposals are, are put forward and, and um, that you're um, in the community talking about your uh, organization and programs. So, there, so there's a lot of things that are very similar to what I was doing there. Um, here, then you know, while Big Brothers Big Sisters and I and I love our model or their model and and the programming because it's prevention. Um, so here, that's kind of my personal goal is to see the Hope Center start to move into some prevention programs so that we can keep families and individuals out of the experiencing homelessness continuum. Mm-hmm. So as much as we can do that, so that piece I'm also able to bring from Big Brothers Big Sisters. I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, obviously, that's, I think, everyone's goal is to not have to just treat or uh, or work with. It's working on. It's, it's prevention. Um, it's got to be a, a tricky thing because you can't stop providing a service before you start prevention, it has to kind of happen in harmony with one another. Uh, but what, what are the some some of the things you think would be a big step in, in a dream world? If you could, let's say, fall on a billion dollars and you're with the Hope Center, what would be the first thing that that you think would be important to do locally uh, to, for prevention? We need affordable housing. We that, the fact of the matter is the number of clients that we're working with, particularly those around OW. In, in Welland, it's challenging, and Welland is just a microcosm. You're not alone in Welland. I mean, the Niagara region, Canada, um, U.S., I'm sure, as well. But uh, to find something that you can afford while you're receiving social assistance is next to impossible. So uh, somebody that's on OW receives, I believe, about $733 a month. You cannot find in Welland... Um, accommodations that will cost you less than about $580 a month. So you do the math, $150 to survive a whole month 
impossible. Is, is, is impossible. And, and there are things that are necessities. Whether people agree with us or don't agree with us, I believe everybody should ac- have access to a cell phone. Um, internet is another thing that those are, those are things that people need regardless of your income level. Uh, and so it's very challenging. For, and so even, even people that have higher income are really struggling right now. Yeah. I mean, not, not that we want to look at it this way. COVID may be a blessing in disguise, uh, for, uh, millennials and for, um, people on OW and for people with challenges of all sorts of all sorts, because I'm predicting this is this I may bite my tongue on in a year from now, but I'm predicting that the housing market is going to absolutely plummet in a year from now, which is not a good thing for some some people, um, but may actually help boost the economy later because you have more people that have ho- a home base. They're able to, you know, once you you have a home, you have some pride back in you. A lot of that goes hand in hand. And I've had this conversation with people for years about Wellens in particular problem because every community struggles with affordable housing. They all struggle with drugs. They all struggle with homelessness. They all struggle with the same things every other community in the world struggles with. But one thing that I think has been somewhat unique to our community is this, is this fog of uh, self-deprecation. Wellenders love to hate on Welland. And I don't know exactly why that is, uh, because people moving from the GTA come here and think, man, what an amazing place. You got an 11 kilometer water park in your backyard. It's, it's a beautiful place. And in my opinion, it's the best place in the world. But now how do we get people to feel good about Welland? I believe it's to make people feel good about themselves and how you do that. A lot of the time is working for something. It's having something to believe in. It's something to work for. It's making money. And it doesn't need to be a lot of money. It's just working for something. It, does that sound somewhat true? In your it field? does. It, so- it sounds very true. I, and I will tell you as a, as a St. Catharines resident and uh, was not, uh, I will admit, not, not that familiar with Welland. Um, and when I start, you know, started working here, one thing I will say is that I've fallen in love with Welland. It's a beautiful community. And in my eyes, the strength of Welland is its residents. This community supports everybody mm-hmm. in my experience. And I've been working here for just over a year now. And every instance, whether it's to support the Hope Center or whether it's to support another organization or another celebration, this community supports it. And, uh, and I think that is the strength of Welland. And I think building on that will be really helpful for others. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't like going on, <laughs> on rants ever. But that's that's the thing. I love this city so much. I was born and raised in Niagara Falls. I went to school JK through grade twelve in Niagara Falls. I went to like a semester and a half at Niagara College, um, and that was my first stint in Welland. It was the first time, but I didn't even go to school with Wellanders. Most of them were from the GTA or the or Hamilton area. Uh, and so I didn't really get to understand and be a part of the community until I graduated college. And my dad's like, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe a cafe. And then two years later, I did it. Um, and that's when I started to think, man, I want to get more involved with the community. I started volunteering more. I started hosting events. I started doing fundraisers. And then the Black Sheep became synonymous with community. And it was one of those things where we wanted to offer a place where it didn't matter where you came from what kind of money you had access to, where, what your background is, your ethnicity, your race, your gender, anything. You know, we were, I think, one of the first places, if not the first places in Welland, to have non-gender bathrooms. 
things like that. Little things making people, maybe they're newcomers to Canada. We, right around the corner, we got the multicultural center and you've got where else could you go and not and feel at home right so we really wanted to make a point of making people feel comfortable and so quickly the community gives back and that's the one thing about welland is it's so resilient it's it's so um hand in hand with with community right if you're you're in it they're right behind you. They're right with you, right? They want to they wanna help you. Uh, they want to help you help others. That's the thing. Like 130 volunteers at the Hope Center is incredible. We just need people to look up for a second and look out and see, look at what we have to offer. This is an amazing place. Um, and I think just asking a question. If you ask someone, hey, I need a little bit of help, Welland is the first one to stand up and say, we're here to help you with that. So Absolutely, I agree with that. And, and if anybody ever wants to really get... Um you know, a true picture, the food drive by the folks that's, that do the Welland food drive. That was my first exposure to Welland. Because it's insane. That actually, that actually was held before I even started at the Hope Center. That's why I went and volunteered. It was insane. It was so busy, so well organized by the people that put it on and, and, uh, and so well supported. The number of cars just streaming in that are volunteering to go and pick up food. It, it really, for me, it warmed my heart when I said, I think I'm really going to like working in Welland. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, this, uh, I can't, this is just so crazy to me. We're, I feel like we're living in a parallel universe right now. Um, do you have any steps currently that you, you're working on for um, the Hope Center dealing with COVID? Are, are there, I know you said you're, you're going to be, um, well, you're currently doing takeout only. Right. Do you have anything that you're going to be implementing next week, new, new things that, that need to, to start happening or looking think, for volunteers? <clears throat> well, and unfortunately, you know, we, we, we uh, are, you know, putting a pause on our volunteers for the time being. And I think that's wise for the volunteers as well. We'll just yep. cut down on community contact. But I think probably the biggest change you'll see is within our uh, shelter system, because uh, one of the things that we've been talking about at the, at the regional um, program sort of level is uh, trying to put together, trying to anticipate what's going to happen when COVID spreads through this population. And and as the Hope Center, we've stepped forward and said, you know, with our model, uh, it would make sense for us to isolate those individuals who, if they contracted COVID, would be very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so we're identifying those across Niagara right now. We're doing swaps with different shelters so that we can, with our hotel model, we can put, um, we can isolate those people to really minimize the chances that they're going to come into contact with COVID, because there are certain people, as we all know, that uh, are highly vulnerable uh, of serious ramifications should they contract um, uh, COVID nineteen. So that's probably the biggest change right now. Um, we are working with, uh, or will be working with the travel lodge here in. In Welland, um, we're, it's, it's significantly more expensive than the model that we're currently providing in Niagara Falls, but we need the extra space. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to be utilizing that, uh, uh, that as a resource as well. So uh, I think that's the biggest change for us. And so we're increasing our staffing uh, for our shelter and we're just making sure that we take care of, take all the precautions. There's another organization that stepped forward that when, uh, people in the, in the that are experiencing homelessness when they contract COVID, then we've we found a way to quarantine them. So we're all kind of working together. But it's as we all know, this is this evolves daily. Yeah, it's I mean, new. I say that now, but I could you know 
be at work at eight o'clock on Monday morning and it's changed because, you know, it's, it's, there's instances of community spread or something along those lines, which we all know is going to happen. So it, it's so fluid. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. as much as we can plan ahead, I know the Hope Center, we've got a contingency plan should we start to lose more staff um, and to services that we may have to alter the way we deliver them. You know, knocking on wood right now that wood doesn't come to that, but everybody has to make those plans. Yeah, and we have to be realistic about it as well. I mean, the predictions in the beginning were 60% of the world mm-hmm. were going to contract COVID, um, and that's still very real. It's still very true. Uh, some people still don't understand the point of so- social distancing isn't to eliminate COVID. It's to slow it down so we don't overwhelm our healthcare system and and systems like that you have in place at the Hope Center. Uh, so how can how can the business community, how can the community in general help in, in this time? I'm assuming that food is still important, but are we looking for more financial donations so we can help accommodate with Travel Lodge and things like that? that that's exactly the way that uh, that people can support us is 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 food and finances um you know give us the resources to invest where we need to uh we know that again you know we see from the federal government we see from the provincial government the you know the municipal government's doing their part as well the regional government we're all stepping forward and it's all costing more money and but this is an investment that we need to make right now yeah so that we can minimize the impact of COVID-19 for on sure. all of our community, the, you know, those experiencing homelessness and those not experiencing homelessness. This is, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation at this point because at, oh, still great. in Niagara, we're in a very fortunate situation where there's only four confirmed cases. The risk still remains low. We've been doing amazing. Like I've been out a couple times just to grab a few groceries and, and supplies for home. And it's a ghost town, so obviously Niagara is doing an incredible job. And mm-hmm. I can't speak for all of Niagara; I haven't been everywhere, but Welland, especially St. Catharines, uh, has been doing a great job. Um, so, what about from a, a health perspective for your employees at the Hope Center? I'm assuming when the point in time comes where it's in Niagara rapidly, where you know we're starting to have to implement some of these contingency plans that you have in place. Do you need any supplies? Are you looking for masks? Are you looking for gloves? Are you looking for any sorts of those types of donations as well? We're we're fortunate uh, right now, and again, it depends on how long how long we're in this state. Um, we're fortunate right now. We've got what we need, I think, in terms of uh, sanitation supplies. That may change. I mean, there's a backlog. You know, I'm sure as everyone can imagine, when you're trying to get you know gloves and uh, sanitizer and well, toilet paper. Yep. I mean, that's some that's something I would say that people could help if they've if they're one of those people that have uh, stockpiled <laughs> a whole bunch of toilet paper. We will have some people that will be in need. Um, you know, in terms of our staff, we're very vigilant. Um, we make sure that we do sort of the screening every day, and just in terms of the questions. Uh, staff have been instructed: if you're you feel even a bit off, do not come in. Nobody's a hero here. Uh, we don't need anybody coming in and fighting through something. Um, we we need people to stay healthy, and so uh, our staff are I hope comfortable. Um, you know, I've also made it very clear with staff: if for some reason you're not comfortable, I've got some staff that have some vulnerable children at home, and they're very nervous about bringing it to their child. Right, so you know the the message is. Be safe. If at all you are not comfortable, stay home. We'll support that. Mm-hmm. I told we totally understand. We're, you know, one of the things that uh, 
that I set out to do as soon as we, I started working here is I want the Hope Center to be a place where people want to work. I, I want us to be a, a sought after employer. Absolutely. And uh, so, you know, part of that goes on with making sure that your staff are comfortable doing the things that make them feel safe. I think that's a testament to your character as well, John, because uh, that is not every leader's goal in business and at the heads of organizations to make their organization a great place to work. I know it sounds bizarre, uh, but if you look at the best businesses in the world, Google and Apple, the stuff they provide for their employees are insane, like free food every day. And obviously not everyone has the resources in order to do so, uh, but anyone who is putting stock in the happiness and well-being of their employees, it, it, it goes full circle. It goes back to you know what we were talking about Welland as a community. When you invest in the community, community invests back in you. Same thing is true when you lead an organization, no matter what size it is. You know, we do the same thing at the Black Sheep. We make sure that everybody is is happy and comfortable. And obviously, business is business, and you need to do what you need to do to keep the ship afloat. But at the same time, you know, anything you can do before it gets to that emergency situation, you make sure you, you do. Uh, we, you had also talked about Open Arms Mission and St. Vincent de Paul at the very beginning of this. Have there been any preliminary talks uh, up to date where maybe you'll pool resources if things really hit the fan? Uh, we're not. We're not at that point right now. I mean, we have very good relationships with uh, with the other organizations. We've all made each other aware of any changes that we've made to our our models and our delivery. Uh, and I think you know, I know that I can open arms or St. Vincent de Paul is just a phone call away should we need anything and I know they feel the same way about us so that's kind of where we're at right now again our shelves are going to be slowly depleting we're giving out food much quicker than we're taking it in Mm -hmm. in terms of donations and certainly you know for us uh, and I would you know I don't want to put words in the mouths of of my friends at the other agencies but very similar areas we're we're running low on canned meats we're running low on canned vegetables and canned fruit um we're you know unfortunately for some of the smaller businesses but fortunate for us when they close the restaurants a lot of those restaurants are donating their perishables to the various food banks which is going to help us short term but that's only a a short term for sure um help right it's not gonna we won't see that again in a week's time yep so and and that's the unfortunate thing as well as a lot of uh People, not so much here, but it is happening. I saw it at Walmart the other day that people are buying up canned goods like crazy, right, off the Mm -hmm. shelf. So um, I'm hoping that in a week's time or two weeks' time, as people become more comfortable with the situation we're in and they become uh, a little bit more insightful on what's actually happening, I'm hoping that some of them will give up some of these goods and bring them to places like yours and Open Arms and St. Vincent de Paul. Um, I know for a fact that, are you going to the Hope Center after this? I am, as a matter of fact. So then I'm going to send you with things from my closing restaurant. (laughs) So so you have a a little bit more. Uh, Obviously, we're still offering takeout here, but I mean, it's four items, five items where we used to have 13. So a lot of these things, you know, we have canned vegetables and fruits and things like that, which I'm happy to to pass along to you. But uh, so anyway, just to wrap this thing up, because we're coming at the end, um, a lot of things going on. Absolutely. Uh, Why don't you let us know where people can find you uh, and recap some of the most important things you need. You already talked about food, um, but how people can donate, where people can donate, whether that's food or money. Well, the best the best way. I mean, our our uh, facility is at five seventy King Street. We're right beside the hospital there. Uh, we've got a delivery window on the sort of hospital side of our driveway, 
Um, so people can bring any donations there. We've got staff that are there. We'll wipe down all the food um, and any cans, that sort of thing. We want to make sure that, that when we pass them on, we're not passing anything along with them. Uh, so that's that's one way. Our website at uh, thehopecenter.net and it's Center RE uh, is a great conduit. It, we're regularly updating it with things that we need. There's also a link that you can donate uh, financially. We had uh, a number of uh, businesses donate some funds and food yesterday, so that was that was heartening, and and hopefully that continues so that we can make sure that our stocks, our, our shelves stay stocked, so that we can meet the increased demand that we're anticipating. Amazing. I really appreciate your time and for sharing your story. Uh, I'm glad we got a little bit about, you know, what you're passionate about, because that's what this is about and talking about how you're using it. Uh, but it's also important that we highlighted what to do with your passions in difficult times. And we're in one of those times. It's going to change. Um, and I'll make sure that uh, our listeners stay updated with, you know, some of the needs in, in the community. I'm going to put the links at the bottom of this thing. You guys are listening to Above the Mug. We're joined by John Braithwaite, CEO of the Hope Center. Uh, amazing guy. Thank you very much for joining us, John. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Hey, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Above the Mug. For more episodes, check us out at AboveTheMug.com. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, comment, tag your friends. This way you're not the only person listening to this thing. We come up with a brand new podcast every Sunday at noon, so we'll see you next week on Above the Mug. Above the Mug.